when students at Bryan College, where I teach English, uh, have come back from a really inspiring missions trip or uh, a neat chapel or uh, uh, an exciting retreat, uh, I rejoice with them that they, they feel like they've gotten closer to the Lord and they've learned some wonderful things. But occasionally I will say, if you've really gotten close to Jesus, it will change the way you treat the most obnoxious person in your life. Uh, Jesus loved people who had gross skin diseases and bad breath, who cursed, who stole, who were sexually impure. He loved people a lot more obnoxious than your little brother or your roommate. So if you've really gotten, and he loves your little brother and your roommate, he loves the parent who irritates you. If you've really gotten close to Jesus, you will treat that person differently. You'll approach your least favorite subject and your least favorite professor at Bryan differently. I think I got that idea as much as any place from James in Scripture. The idea that our faith is supposed to be lived out, that it doesn't mean anything unless it, it becomes words and actions, uh, is, is present throughout the Bible. But James really emphasizes that. It's the book of practical obedience, isn't it? Uh, where to listen, to speak, and to handle anger in a way that shows God's word is implanted in our hearts, James says. We're to help those in distress, as, as was read this morning. We're to be doers of the word and not hearers. We're not to show special preference to people who have more money and status. We're to treat everybody as children of God. We're to keep God's law consistently. It's not okay to keep some of the law and leave out other parts. Um, uh, our, our faith is not real if it's not fulfilled in works. Works are the proof and the fulfillment of our faith. We're to obey God in how we use our tongues, and on and on. James is the book of practical obedience. Um, I teach a, a Sunday school class called Family Matters that really focuses on practical obedience to God's Word. We, we, not that other Sunday school classes don't do the same to some extent, but we, we are especially focused on how does God's Word look in the lives of our families and, and, and the people closest to us. Uh, I, uh, Amy and I also grew up in, in, in homes where our fathers were at times abusive, and as firstborn children, we really were wounded by that uh, situation and the chaos that it sometimes involved, and we were determined that our home was going to be different, and so we knew we had to obey God's word. We had to read discerningly God's word and, and Christian writers who who thoughtfully interpreted God's word as it applied to the family. And we had to set up rules, and we had to be committed to enforcing them. And, and that was going to make our family different, and it did. Uh, but we, are in, we were, had to be committed to practical obedience as parents, and we were trying to teach our children practical obedience as well. Uh, Amy herself is a very practical person. She's very rubber meets the road, very service-oriented. So she has helped me see over the course of our 34-year marriage, new ways that God's Word uh, applies in our lives. Um, it seems to me that many evangelicals um, have misconceptions, even with all the Bible's teaching about obedience, about the place of practical obedience in our lives. Um, and we therefore miss a great deal of the fruitful witness and ministry and blessing 
that we could otherwise receive. So I want to talk today about the biblical theme of, of obedience to Christ and uh, how I think it should impact our lives. And I'm going to try to cover a lot of ground, and I've got uh, fairly detailed notes, but every now and then I look up and try to remember that y'all are there. Um, um, our sense of respect and accountability uh, to God, what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord, is one key motivator of obedience. Uh, in Job 31, 13 through 15, Job states, If I have rejected the claim of my male or female slaves when they filed a complaint against me, what then could I do when God arises? And when he calls me to account, how am I to answer him? Did he who made me in the womb not make him? And the same one create us in the womb? In other words, how dare I treat my servants badly? I'm going to have to give an account to God for how I treat them. They're made in his image just as much as I am. I better be careful how I treat them. Um, when I was in graduate school, before I met Amy, uh, I was... I was Lonely and sometimes the pressures, the reading and the writing of grad school would weigh on me and I wish I was close to somebody. I wish I had a mar uh, relationship with a girl that was on its way to marriage. And uh, I would do things with Christian friends at times and, and one of my bright, interesting Christian friends was named Vicki and I, she was just a friend. I knew I didn't have romantic feelings for her, but... Uh, we did things together. And one night, I was dropping her off at her home, and I was trying to be a gentleman. So I walked her to her door, and she kissed me on the lips. And I was lonely. And it felt good, and I kissed her back. And on the way home, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was close. God said, she's my daughter, you keep your hands off of her. And it sounded like God the Godfather, like I will break your legs. Um, I, I remember flinching back from the idea of touching Vicky again like she was a hot stove eye. And I had that difficult to find the relationship conversation within a couple of days because God was breathing down my neck and I wasn't going to waste any time. Now that's one motivator for obedience. And I do think a lot of us should have a sense there is a God of glory and honor and righteousness who, to whom we will have to give an account. And I do think that the fear of the Lord is one thing that should motivate our obedience. Uh, that we should be something like Job, how dare I treat this person badly while God is watching. Uh, but an even deeper and more powerful motivator for obedience is our growing sense of closeness to Christ, our wanting to show love to him and receive his love. Obedience is not some sort of legalistic rule following separate from our relationship with Christ. It's actually a crucial way of responding to and deepening that relationship. In John 14, 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will follow my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. In John 15, 10, he repeats the same idea. If you love me, keep my commandments. You will remain in my... Uh, I'm sorry. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Obeying Christ doesn't earn his love, but it's clearly a crucial way of showing our love to him in a way of opening ourselves up to receiving his love in return. That shouldn't be a big surprise. Aren't we able to give more to our children when they're obedient? Isn't the home more fun? Aren't we able to be more creative? Aren't we able to teach them more of what we know that can help them later in their lives? 
when they're willing to respect us and listen to us and obey us. Um, I've, I've occasionally been thinking as I've taught, I taught high school English years ago, and even with college classes, unfortunately, occasionally I think, you know, I would not have to be this severe and this cold if I were not having to sit on your disrespect all the time. Uh, if, if, if you would respect and cooperate with me, we could have so much more fun. You would learn so much more, and we would do so many more interesting things. Well, the same is true with our relationship with God. Our disrespect and our disobedience close us off to a lot of what he's trying to do in our lives. Sometimes our firstborn son, Will, who was quite strong-willed, who lived up to his name, uh, would be trading the boundary of disobedience for like 15 minutes. He knew what the rule was, and he was going to see how close he could get to the edge of it. And uh, we were committed to spanking our children consistently, and we were also committed to not spanking them in anger. So I would say, I would pray, Lord, in about 10 minutes, I'm going to be irritated, and I'm going to be tempted to spank with the wrong spirit. So would you just let Will step all the way over the line right now? And... uh, (laughs) because I can, I can deal with this in the right spirit. And pretty much 100% of the time that prayer was answered. And um, Will would be crying in my arms, and then it would be forgiven, and it would be over after the spanking. And he and I were having more fun. We were buddies after the spanking. We were having more fun together than we were while he was being oppositional. He was having more fun. Um, we've seen this over and over again in our families. Um, uh, an example of a situation where I had to be obedient that was difficult for me was that uh, about 17 years ago I started having trouble swallowing just kind of out of the blue and uh, that doesn't sound good something maybe neurological is happening when your swallowing muscles aren't working and they did some other tests for more minor things and then I was down at Memorial doing a barium swallow where they were taking pictures of stuff as it went down And the speech pathologist interpreting the test, looking at the picture, said, oh, no, this is terrible. A whole lot's going right down your windpipe. Your epiglottis isn't even moving to close it off. Uh, Listen, don't eat or drink anything until I consult with a colleague and call you back this afternoon. And um, I was tempted to be terrified. Uh, And unfortunately, I was having my MRI of my brain so we could see if I had a stroke or signs of MS or stuff, right after that. So his words echoed in my mind as I was sitting in that enclosed space with that loud noise uh, pulsating around me. Uh, And as I was driving home on 153, getting ready to get on 27, a crow defecated above me, and the splat hit right in front of my face on my windshield. I could hardly see to drive. And I thought, you know what? This is like the Wizard of Oz. I think I see someone behind the curtain. And I I think I know who he is. And I don't think this day is as much about my health as it is about obeying the Lord. I I knew Psalm 41.10, which says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will also uphold you with my righteous right hand. Uh, And obeying God right then meant not yielding to terror not yielding to fear, not letting my day be dominated by it. And the way that obedience acted itself out on that particular day was I got home and Amy and I went to Hardy's and I got me a big hamburger and french fries and tea and I guzzled them all down 
And, uh, uh, but, but as time went on and they were trying to figure out what I had, uh, the neurologist told me there are only two things. We've ruled out everything else. You've either got a neuromuscular disease, myasthenia gravis, which it turned out is what I had a mild case of, but, um, or you've got Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. And, uh, and so that was a hard year. But again, a, I went a whole year undiagnosed. They couldn't figure out, but they kept telling me, it's got to be one of these, cheerfully, they told me. It's got to be one of these. And um, I realized that with my wife, with my children, obedience meant not speaking and acting out of fear. It meant reminding myself again and again that God was in control. And one way that God helped me do that was I, I had a devotional time every morning uh, in, in the daily light, which is, has scripture compiled for every day of the year. And I, I always go back to bed with hot tea and a non-frosted Pop-Tart, blueberry or strawberry, and I sit there and I open my daily light and I read the verses for the day and I journal. And, and God's again and again quieted my fears during that hard year, during that time. But having a regular devotion time, that's, that's also obedience. Um, having a regular prayer time is also obedience. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Um, and James 1.21 tells us to receive the word implanted. So my being willing to obey God by having a regular devotional time, which I had been doing for years before this thing ever popped up, um, it gave God a chance to encourage me and lift my heart. And another thing that encouraged me during that hard year was the way the body of Christ came around us uh, at the Signal Mountain Bible Church. I remember uh, a growth group evening where I was pretty much, I felt, I felt dead sure that I had ALS. The symptoms were all going that direction and not, not toward myasthenia gravis, it seemed. And I remember the people mourning with us and, and crying with us and praying for us and how much that meant. But being part of the body was also an act of obedience. Uh, Hebrews 10.25 talks about not abandoning our own meeting together as it is the habit of some people. And years before that, that hard year, Amy and I had decided that even though we lived in Dayton, Tennessee, the best church in this area for us, the place where we could grow the most and have the most opportunities for ministry ourselves, was this Signal Mind Bible Church. So we were getting up every morning uh, and driving 45 minutes to get here for Sunday school and church. Uh, Amy knows exactly how many curves are on the W Road because she was morning sick with both Sam and Cliff as we were driving up it. Um, and uh, we wanted our children exposed to, other, to God's Word as much as possible and to other Christians who, uh, who believed it, other adults besides ourselves. So we were committed to being here for both Sunday school and church. And, uh, and, our, and we would, fortunately, my parents lived in Chattanooga, so they would feed us lunch, and we would spend the afternoon with them, and we would drive back up the mountain for a Sunday night growth group. So the body came around us, but one of the things that we did to help make that possible was that we were obeying God and exposing ourselves on a regular basis to that body, getting to know those people, really treating them like brothers and sisters so they could treat us like brothers and sisters. Um, all right, another thing that the Bible says about obedience is that it requires the full engagement of our will. Romans 1.21 says, 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Being a living sacrifice, giving up our agenda, our lust, our plans, our ideals for the sake of God's way is not easy. We have to exert ourselves to the fullest. Matthew 16, 24 states, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This following Christ is clearly an act that requires our full exertion. Jesus is our model for this, and we can remember his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane as he chooses to obey God by going to the cross. In Luke 22:42, Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And Luke 22:44 records the anguish of his obedience. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. The paradox is that when we are seeking to do God's will, he calls for our will to be fully engaged. Uh, I remember at scout camp one year, Cliff was just loving rappelling. It was maybe his favorite activity. He was going down that 40-foot wall like a monkey, and I was one of the adult leaders, at least for several days during scout camp, and I have a fear of heights, and I felt like uh, that I really wanted to share this experience with my son. And I asked the Lord, and I felt like he wanted me to do it too, so I asked that he would give me peace and courage to go down the rappelling wall. And I thought that meant that from the get-go, it was going to be easy, but it wasn't. As I was walking up the, the steps of the tower, it was swaying in the wind. And I just could not calm down as I was waiting to be hooked up. And right on the edge, as they were hooking me up, I was looking down the 40 feet and still, still afraid. It was only as I went over the edge and felt my rope, the rope hold me that I started bouncing off the wall and I was, I was relaxed. But God, uh, I was sort of expecting him to make the whole process easy, and he did not. Uh, it, it's, it's almost as if my willingness to do something hard was a measure of my love for him and for my son. And he let me go through that. And I think obedience feels like that sometimes. Another thing the Bible teaches is that obedience to Christ can be extremely counterintuitive, something that looks from the standpoint of the world's values and even sometimes from common sense like it couldn't work. In Luke 5, 4 through 9, Jesus tells Peter to do something that all Peter's experience as a fisherman tells him will be useless, to cast his net on the other side of the boat after a night of, of fruitless fishing. Afterwards, when his nets cannot hold all the fish, Peter was ashamed of doubting Christ's power. But we've all had that experience uh, that we know better than Christ, that what he's asking us to do violates the expertise and wisdom that we've accumulated over the years. When our transmission of our Honda van went out 250 miles from home on the way home from the beach, my first thought was that the man of Nazareth does not know anything about transmissions. And that's crazy, right? Uh, he knows about everything. Uh, but, but the first obstacle to my being obedient to Christ in what I said and did in front of my wife and children in that very frustrating situation was that it seemed like Jesus didn't know enough to help me. And I had to, by faith, get over that 
so that I could obey him and, and make, make the day that we were in a motel room trying to figure out what to do with a van another vacation day instead of the pure hell it might have been in my family growing up. Uh, that was obedience. I'm not allowed to dump my fear and my self-blame because I thought I'm an idiot with cars. I probably bought a terrible van. I'm not allowed to dump any of that on my family. I, my words have got to be consistent with the faith that Christ is completely in charge here and that he's got us in his hands. And I'm not allowed to say anything that's not consistent with that or do anything that's not consistent with that. Um, obedience is so hard sometimes that it can feel like death. It can be a kind of death. Right after saying we must take up our cross and follow him in Matthew 16, 25, Jesus says, quote, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Uh, Amy and I, again, were pretty wounded, and we didn't realize until we got married just how wounded. And there were times, particularly early in our high-maintenance marriage, when she was in one room of the house angry and hurting, and I was in another room of the house angry and hurting. And the sense I got from the Lord was, you know Ephesians 5, you're the head of your wife. That means you go in and apologize first and restart the conversation. And there were times when I felt like, like that's going to work. She hasn't been listening to me for two hours. She's angry and hurt, and she's going to think I'm just coming in to hurt her again. Um, and God never explained to me why it was going to work or how it was going to work. The sense I got from him was, are you going to do what I say or not? And I think there's great reward in obedience, as I'm going to say. But at the moment, a lot of times what enables it is he's God. He knows how things should go. He has a right to tell me what to do. Uh, and I'm going to do it. But it feels like death. It felt like I was jumping to go in and talk to Amy you men know that sometimes wives can be scary. <laughs> and uh, to go in to talk to Amy at that moment felt like jumping off a cliff without any sense that there was a net under me. It felt like, like risking death. Um, that's exactly how it felt. Few things feel more vulnerable, more like dying, than uh, obeying God by choosing to love and forgive someone who's hurt or disappointed you. Obeying Christ may mean killing a precious dream you've nurtured for years or a coping mechanism that you've believed for your whole life was absolutely necessary for your survival. It may mean killing your pride and sense of self-sufficiency to go to a program like self Celebrate Recovery or psychological counseling or to take medication to heal your broken neurochemistry so that you can be more capable of loving and serving those around you. It's meant all of those things for me at various times in my life. Obedience, however, is not legalism. In fact, we experience God's grace much more fully when we see him helping and encouraging us, enabling us to do hard things we could never do by ourselves, and bringing fruit from obedience far beyond what we deserve or could produce on our own. In Matthew 11:29 and 30, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This load can be light only because the Lord helps us carry it. 
And when we are willing to carry it, we feel his help more fully sometimes than at any other time. So if you think that obedience is just drudgery, the yoke is on you. Um, had to get a pun in, of course. <clears throat> Luke 22:43 records of Jesus as he's agonizing in Gethsemane. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. As Joshua is obeying God by leading the children of Israel into the promised land, and God is telling him in Joshua 1.7 to be perfectly obedient. Be careful to do according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. God also tells him in Joshua 1, 5, and 6, No one will be able to oppose you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not desert you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land, which I swore to their fathers to give them. As Joshua is performing that difficult act of obedience, God is reassuring him that he will be with him every step. In Philippians 2, as he's urging the Philippians to adopt the servant-hearted obedience of Christ, Paul writes of the encouragement in Christ, the consolation of love, the fellowship of the Spirit, and the affection and compassion that could motivate and empower that obedience. And in Philippians 2, 13 and 14, as he's telling the Philippians to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, Paul is also telling them, for it is God who is at work in you, both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. In this mysterious collaboration between ourselves and God that happens when we obey him, we become most fully aware of God's miraculous work and measureless power helping us in multiplying the fruits of our obedience. Obedience and a sense of God's love and grace go hand in hand. Another point the Bible makes is that there is great merit, reward, and glory in our obedience. As Paul in Philippians 2 is describing the perfect servanthood of Christ, which led him to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, he also describes the glory that Christ won by such perfect obedience. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. As the Father is glorified by the Son, the Son is given the greatest possible honor and glory by the Father. Certainly Jesus rejoiced that his sacrifice on the cross was going to bring many people to salvation. But surely the honor and glory that he received from the Father, the approval from his beloved Father, was part of the joy, quote, joy set before him for which he endured the cross according to Hebrews 12, 2. It's right after these verses in, that Paul says in Philippians 2, 12, So then, my beloved brethren, just as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The clear implication is that as we obey Christ's, as we imitate Christ's obedient servanthood, we will in our own way receive great glory. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, in fact, Jesus says to the father of his disciples, the glory you have given me, I also have given to them. We all want, at the end of our lives, to hear the words Jesus attributes to God in the parable of the talents. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
I imagine that every act of obedience puts, uh, brings some kind of reward, puts a smile on the face of the good father, whom Psalm 139 says is thinking of us all the time. In other words, when I'm trying to be faithful to the Lord, I'm not just thinking, after I die, there will be rewards for me. I'm thinking, right now, he is with me. I am pleasing him. Uh, he is in a position to bless me because I am following him faithfully as much as I can right here. Uh, in Mark 10, 29 through 30, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much. Now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Now, I think Jesus is being figurative. I don't think he's just talking about people and, and goods. But I think he's saying there's a reward in this age, in this life as well as in heaven. The kingdom of God, in some sense, begins now. Uh, James 1.25 says that the person who is a doer, not, says that the person who's a doer, not just a hearer, quote, that man will be blessed in what he does. Now, we don't have the right to say how and when we'll be rewarded. What kind of reward and glory we'll receive, that would be the prosperity gospel. But we can be motivated in our obedience by the promise of great reward in this life and in eternity. Psalm 1 talks of the man who delights in and meditates on God's law is flourishing, quote, like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and whatever he does, and in whatever he does, he prospers. We found that as our own children learned to be more obedient over time, they were learning more from the adults around them. They were getting more affirmation from those adults and from their peers. We watched them flourish as they learned to be obedient. And part of our gauge of are our children really coming to know Christ and growing in him was their practical obedience. Uh, is it getting better? Are they getting more faithful to the Lord and, and, and the other things that they do? Um, now, obedience can lead to suffering. I'm not trying to say that it doesn't. Um, some Christian obedience in our world results in physical death. Hebrews 5.8 even says of Jesus, although he was a son, he learned obedience for the thing, from the things which he suffered. But Paul writes in Romans 8.18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. If we suffer in faith, we suffer in hope that our obedience is making a difference in the kingdom of God and will one day in some way be greatly rewarded. In Christ, we can have all that we long for. What do we want in the world? We want to be unconditionally loved, no matter how badly we screw up, to know that we are loved and accepted. And God gives us that. He gives us salvation completely by grace. He, we become his children completely by his grace. But you guys, every one of us also wants the satisfaction of achievement. Nothing is more obvious in a child or in his parents than the rejoicing at every new skill that's learned, every new step forward and maturity. We all want the satisfaction and the reward of achievement. And God gives us that too. And obedience is the chief place where we find it. 
A uh, couple other things I need to end up here uh, uh, fairly quickly, but the more we get into a habit of obeying, the easier some aspects of obedience get. David has the courage to confront Goliath because he's always already seen God help him kill lions and bears as he's obeyed his father by tending the sheep. Uh, that time when the transmission went out, if that had happened 10 years earlier, probably couldn't have handled it. But I'd walked with the Lord for a decade, uh, for, for a couple of decades before that happened, pretty closely, and, um, and he gave me the strength and the wisdom to obey in that situation. Uh, C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, good and evil both increase at compound interest. That's why the little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. Faithful obedience is also persistent. Joshua marched the children of Israel around Jericho six days and then seven times around the seventh day before the walls finally fell. Noah, Noah built the ark and preached for around 100 years, Genesis 6, 5 and 7 seem to say, before, uh, uh, before the flood actually came. Uh, I love the title of Eugene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I like the title even more than the book uh, because I do think that's what we're called for. Um, I've heard the excuse, I tried doing it and it didn't work. What does work exactly mean? And who are we as flawed human beings to excuse our disobedience to God by saying that, that we know uh, what the results should be, and we are able to assess what the results are. Um, I've also too often heard the excuse, I'm just not that kind of person, used as a reason for not obeying the clear teaching of God's word. The Bible tells us if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have become new. All, all things have passed away. All things have become new. Uh, Romans 12, 2 says, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Um, there's plenty of room for creativity and individuality and obedience. Uh, one husband's loving his wife may differ from another husband's loving his wife uh, because of her particular love language and, and needs. But we all know the difference between being an individual and being inert. We all know what a husband who is not being creative, not being proactive, not being determined in loving his wife, we all know what that looks like. Or a, or a wife who doesn't respect her husband or, or children or church members, it's not okay to say, I'm not that kind of person. God will make you that kind of person. That's part of why you entered into a relationship with him. Uh, then finally, I'll just say um, that obedience is an adventure. It's, it's a challenge, but it's a, an adventure. It has great rewards and great satisfactions. We all with unveiled faces can behold the glory of the Lord in part, in significant part, through our faithful obedience to him, and we will be transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Even baptism, which we're celebrating today, is an act of obedience, um, making the sometimes difficult step of publicly stating the faith that you've come to. So, we can talk the talk, you guys, but are we ready to walk the walk? The whole sermon was just so I could lead up to that motion. Walk the walk. Uh, 
So I, I hope that all of us will be willing to let God put his finger on places in our lives where we're not obedient and we're missing out, where he can show us how much we could be experiencing that is rich and fruitful and joyful if we would just take that first step of obeying. Even if it's hard, even if it's faltering, he'll help us. Um, uh, and I hope that he can scare us occasionally with our accountability before him uh, when there is an area of chronic disobedience in our lives that is producing destruction for us and for others. I hope we're a little scared about that uh, as, we, as we walk forward to the joy that God wants to give us. God bless you.